This is episode number 44, I Belong Here, with Nicole Zion Cox. Welcome, my name is Oleg Lohid, and this is the Overcoming Odds Podcast, where you get a glimpse into the stories of individuals who have overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving their fullest potential. This podcast was built by you and for you to help you overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving your personal success. Before I introduce today's guest, I'd like to make a brief announcement and invite all of our listeners to our upcoming event in Los Angeles on February 23rd called Survive to Thrive, an event where you'll get a chance to hear from seven speakers, each one who has been adopted or was a former foster youth. Each one will be discussing methods and techniques they've used to survive in their past in order to help them thrive in the future. For more information, please go to overcomingodds.today forward slash survive to thrive. Now, let's get back to our guest. Nicole Zion Cox is a business graduate, a best-selling author, professional speaker, and foster coach. She strives to inspire everyone to find their purpose and live a fulfilled life, regardless of their past or current situation. This passion for empowering others was sparked after prevailing through a string of adversities in her own journey from foster care to a self-employed businesswoman. Without further ado, please welcome Nicole Zion Cox. Nicole, thank you so much for joining us on the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Um, I wanted to have you as a guest on our podcast because I had come across your story a little while ago and I wanted to reach out to you and learn more about it and also share your life and experience with some of our listeners and community that we've developed here at Overcoming Odds. Um, In addition to having you on this show, I also spoke to you about you being a speaker at our upcoming event in LA called Survive to Thrive, which focuses on discovering different survival um, techniques and methods that we've used within our lives to help us move forward. So the topic that I wanted to focus for today's conversation is I belong here. So really uncovering what it means to belong, how does it feel, how do you truly know when and where you belong within certain instances of your life. And so the way that I wanted to start off this episode is have you share a little bit about your background and your upbringing as far as you can remember so some of our listeners can better understand your story and your background? Yeah, definitely. Uh, so my story is a little unique, like a lot of ours are. Um, I was first in foster care when I was two years old. Before that, I was with my birth mother and my younger sister. My dad was in prison at the time, uh, drug, drug-related drug charges, and my mom was kind of in the same boat, just really struggling to you know, beat addiction and try to be the mom she wanted to be, but she just really realized she couldn't be our mom at that time. So thankfully and selflessly, she did give us up to the foster care system. Um, very grateful she made that decision. There's no telling, you know, what would happen to my mm-hmm. sister and I if that didn't happen. So, you know, a lot of people, I think, 
pity foster youth, you know, when they're in that, that situation or, you know, they feel so bad, but really, you know, I see it as a strength and a blessing because, you know, I'm just very thankful that happened. So yes, we were in foster care at two and one, my younger sister and I, and we were in a couple different foster homes before we found our forever family. I was five when I was adopted for the first time. So we kind of were born into this small town. Um, I didn't really, you know, being so little, you don't really know what's going on. You know, mm-hmm. you're kind of your element. You know, I was the older one of the of us too, so I could tell there was something wrong. You know, just even reading back, my adopted mom would journal. So she would kind of journal about our whole experience, you know, when we came there, how we acted, what emotions we had, all that stuff. And I used to throw a lot of temper tantrums and I was just so angry. And, you know, I would always tell her, you're not my mom, you're not my mom. And as a two-year-old little girl, I was so confused on, you know, why I wasn't with my mom anymore. Cause you know, that's who I was with since I was born, mm-hmm. obviously. And that's now what you I knew was- of it to that day. Exactly. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you're just living with these strangers and it's like, okay, here's your new family. And as a child, you don't really grasp that like, oh, okay, my mom couldn't care for me. So, you know, these strangers are going to be my new family. I didn't get that. I, I could not comprehend it. So I had a lot of behavior problems. You know, I did act out. I threw the temper tantrums. I said really hurtful things. And as a child, I didn't even understand what I was doing. But obviously looking at it as an adult now, you know, I was really going through a lot of different emotions. I was struggling again with that sense of belonging and, you know, who I am and why I'm here and who these people are. Um, so yeah, it was a little bit rocky growing up. You know, I'd love to be able to say, oh, we were adopted and everything was great. It really wasn't, you know, that oh, yeah. even if you adopted it, it was absolutely amazing. It was, it was a blessing, but at the same time, it also came with a lot of struggles. You know, we had to decide that, hey, this is our family, you know, like it or not, these people, they, they're going to raise us now. And, you know, I still could never, even growing up through middle school, high school, I still really struggled with that, you know, not being with my birth family and just having so many questions not answered. I was so curious, you know, mm-hmm. as long as I could remember, I just could never understand, you know, why our mom, in my mind, I didn't think she wanted us, you know, and that was really painful. You know, why doesn't my mom want me? Why, why is she not here? Why is she missing visits? And I didn't understand, you know, the magnitude of drug addiction and what that really entails and you know, how that can make somebody act. So yeah, I just really struggled with that pretty bad. And, you know, when I hit my teen years, that was probably the rockiest, you know, I really went through that, you know, identity crisis stage. And I just didn't know what the heck was going on and, you know, what my place was and everything. So I was very angry, you know, and that resulted in me not listening, running away from home, you know, just being very defiant as a lot of foster youth are when they go through a lot of trauma and struggles and, you know, all those things, because I didn't know how to channel my emotions. You know, I didn't know how to constructively express how I felt and what I needed. So I just kind of took it upon myself to try and I guess not parent myself, but just be so headstrong and not think I needed anyone. You know, Mm -hmm. I just, I think that was a coping mechanism for me that I only needed myself, you know, and I didn't want to be vulnerable because I was scared somebody else would leave kind of Mm. feeling. So I really shut, I know I shut myself off and I made it very hard to be loved. (laughs) I can just, you know, I can remember thinking back even now, like, oh my goodness, my parents went through the ring around with us girls and (laughs) (laughs) thankfully, you know, they didn't give up and they kept fighting and they always had our back no matter what, you know, if I really needed them, I could always call no matter what I said, what I did, 
you know? So yeah, jumping back to the teen years, it was really difficult. You know, I was in detention centers. I was sent to respite homes, which for you, I mean, this platform probably understands respite, but Mm -hmm. you know, it's kind of a safe haven, I guess, so to say for foster parents, you know, if they have to go out of town for a vacation or things aren't going well in the home, you can put your child into respite care, which is similar to foster care, but a different placement. So I was in a respite home for a good week or so. Um, I, I did mention I went to that detention center and then I actually was placed again in foster care at 15. So that was definitely an eye opener for me. Again, being in foster care at 15 years old, you know, transferring high schools, and just kind of having that aha moment, like, what am I doing? <laughs> I need to behave. I need to kind of shape up because I'm going to end up in foster care till I'm 18. You know, I had a family, but I took them for granted and I still didn't understand, you know, why I was supposed to be there and why they are my family. Mm. So I think that was one of my aha moments, kind of getting that realization like, hey, you know, if you keep going down this path, it's not going to lead anywhere good. You're mm-hmm. going to end up in foster care till you're 18. And you're not going to have any family or anyone behind you supporting you. And it was after that placement, you know, that things really patched up at home. You know, for the most part, things were good. We, my adoptive parents and I understood each other. You know, we were finally able to get some of that, I, I guess, junk. I don't know what the word is off, off our, you know, <laughs> and out, out on the table. Because, you know, they were frustrated with how I was acting. And I was frustrated because, you know, I wasn't say getting the attention or love or whatever it was at the time, you know, they didn't even understand that. They just thought I was this angry 15 year old for no reason. When really I was going through an identity crisis, you know, mm-hmm. I was still struggling with that sense of belonging within my family, even though at this point now I've been with them 10 years, I still haven't hadn't developed that true core feeling of belonging and how it felt to be loved and accepted. Mm-hmm. So it's really after that, that we kind of started to be more open and talk about how we felt and how we were going to handle things going forward a couple couple questions that come to mind from that um the first question is do you remember the first time you had called your parents mom and dad because the the reason why i asked that question is for me that was one of the first moments when i felt like i belonged somewhere i felt that there was enough of comfort and safety that was being given to me so that that's kind of when it all made sense to me. And the reason why I ask that of you is because you have had a um, slightly different experience than I have as far as I wasn't in foster care. I lived in an orphanage and then I got adopted out of there. Um, You went through the foster care system and then you got adopted from there. When did, did you ever end up calling your parents, mom and dad? And if so, like, what was that feeling like? Yeah. So, I mean, being so little when we went to them, I'm, you know, we were kind of bounced back and forth between a couple homes in between even being at their house because they did the respite care as well. And so did our other foster family. But, you know, I think being so little, it was just a custom for us to say it, you know, Mm -hmm. so I don't really remember a specific and definitive point where we said, hey, this is my mom and dad. I think being so young, like I would say we're, we're probably three years old and like two years old at this time. It was just natural for us to call them mom and dad, you know, so we just kind of grew up saying that even though I knew we had other family out there and my sister did too. She was just a little bit younger. Um, but yeah, I, I still knew I had two moms. I just always remember thinking that, you know, I have two moms, one's taking care of me now and one is off doing whatever she's doing, you know? So yeah, it was hard, but I knew that they were still my parents, but I knew I had other family out there, if that mm. makes sense. Yeah. How how different would you say the relationship was between the two and 
because I'm trying to understand it from someone who has two sets of parents. Like I'm, I'm one of those people. And I know that for me, at least I have an entirely different relationship with my sibling in Russia, my sister and my brother here. And it's not to say one is better or worse. They're just very different. So in Mm -hmm. your eyes, when you knew that you had two moms, like, did you go to one mom for one set of things and then the other mom for the other set? Or how did they, what type of roles did they play in your life? Yeah, so obviously my adoptive mom, she was the one really caring for us, you know, she and my dad too, of course. But it's funny, you know, my biological dad wasn't really in the picture, in my life picture, until actually this last uh, year, actually. So that's another story we can get into. But I knew I had another dad out there, but we didn't really have any contact. My mom was more the one that we had an open adoption with, you know, so she we saw her maybe once a year if we were lucky. You know, she still could come visit us. She could write us, all those things. But a lot of the time, you know, she was just going through her addiction and she just, yeah, she just was kind of unreliable. And we just never knew when she'd show up or if she'd show up. So, you know, my, my mom, which is the mom I call mom now, my adopted mom, she was really the one that cared for us. You know, mm-hmm. she changed her diapers, she fed us, she gave us a house, you know, all those things. So she was really the one, I guess, supporting us, if that makes sense. And then our other mom, mm-hmm. she was just kind of there, I guess, you know, and it's kind of sad even to put it that way, but she didn't really contribute much. You know, it's, she was just off doing her own thing and partying and just kind of living this life where two young little girls don't fit into. So, you know, that was challenging and (laughs) sorry. Yeah. Sometimes it's just even so hard for me to even explain out loud, Mm -hmm. but you know, that mom, so our relationship with our adopted mom, obviously that was more of, you know, the mother daughter, even though there was a lot of challenges, a lot of fighting, stuff like that. And then with our separate mom, um, our birth mom, she was more the one where we wanted her there but she wasn't there kind of thing so that sense of longing for a mother that wasn't going to be there you know there was just a huge void and every time we would have a visit you know I kind of mentioned earlier she'd be kind of I don't want I don't want to say skipped out on visits but you know a lot of times she would show up and then our other parents had to deal with that you know these little girls are going to meet their birth mom for a visit and she just doesn't show up so Mm. they were the ones that are comforting us loving us even though at the time we didn't realize it we just you know, kind of took it for granted because we were kids, but, you know, so it was was a little difficult, but that was kind of the relationship, you know, it's more of a healthy, constructive one with my adopted mom. And then with my biological mom, it was just so up in the air and just filled with a lot of different emotions Mm -hmm. going on. So how, how have you come to terms with knowing that, that your birth mom, I guess, wasn't really there to a degree and then your adoptive mom was able to fill that role because, you know, one of the things that I'm noticing as we are sharing these stories and experiences within this community is that one of the harder things to gain is that acceptance for the things that have happened in your life. And it sounds like you have somehow been able to cope and find ways to help you better understand the role that your birth mom had to play and your adoptive mom. So with knowing what you know now, are there still areas that you're working through as far as maybe trying to answer certain questions in your mind as far as, okay, my my mom, my birth mom had to go this route. She had to have this type of behavior. She did this. She did that in order to kind of like shape me who I am today. How, How do you come to terms with the things that have happened in your life? 
I guess that's a better way to phrase it. Yeah, and I think, honestly, I really feel like this is something I'm going to have to work through and honestly kind of struggle with forever. You know, Mm -hmm. I don't think there's ever going to be a time where I'm 100% at peace and everything's great. And, you know, it's just, it's human nature to still feel those emotions and ask those questions and all those things. But I do know since I was probably about 18, you know, when I actually hit that age of adulthood, I really understood the magnitude of why she acted the way she did, why what happened did, and, you know, what role I had playing. So, you know, even jumping back and seeing how many obstacles there were through my adoption process and, you know, the things I said, did, acted, all those things, you know, that was for a reason. And just jumping back, I finally realized, I think at 18, that I could choose my adoptive family as my family. And Mm -hmm. that was a pivotal moment for me because all I remember, you know, growing up thinking is, oh, they're keeping me from my family or I can't be with my mom because I'm here, you know, things like that, which as a naive child, you don't understand. That's all you think of. All you know is you're not with your mom who you were originally with and now you live with these strangers. So I think in my mind, I made up this story that all oh, these people are keeping me from my mom. I can't mm. see her them and I think that really held a lot of resentment in and that's why I acted out so bad you know if I could I guess say what I thought or diagnose myself or whatever you will say I think that's what I was going through in the thoughts that I had so when I was 18 I finally realized okay you know I'm at this age I can finally take care of myself I can be independent I it was so crazy because ever since I could remember probably being 13, 14, all I wanted to do was grow up, which is really sad, you know, but I did. Mm -hmm. I just wanted adults so bad. I wanted to be in control of my life and make my decisions. And I was just so headstrong. And yeah, so I just remember finally when I turned 18, I'm like, okay, well, this is it. (laughs) Now I'm an adult. And I just remember sitting there, I'm like, wow, they're still my family. You know, I I remember my next birthday rolled around and they still threw me a party and had all my other family come. And I just sat there, I'm like, you know, their job's done technically, you know, Mm -hmm. they raised my sister and I, they don't have to care for us anymore, but they're choosing to. And for me, that was just such an aha moment. I'm like, wow, they really do love me. You know, they weren't just doing it because they made a promise or, you know, had some commitment or whatever it was, they were choosing to still love me after I even turned 18. So I'm like, wow, you know, I, I just can't even explain how I felt, you know, just finally being an adult and an adult putting that all together and realizing, Hey, I can choose them right back. You know, I can choose them to be my family. Mm-hmm. And from that, pretty much that point on things were really great. You know, we have a really great relationship now. I go home, I go, you know, visit them all the time. And it's just amazing. (laughs) Now it is like putting it all together. Like, wow, (laughs) had to take a lot of work to get there. But absolutely. I hope that answered that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you you absolutely, um, you've nailed a lot of things with that. I've been fortunate enough to experience a similar side to your story as far as when it comes to having a set of adoptive parents who are in support of your dreams and aspirations and are almost willing to go I mean, beyond anything to help you get there. And with that said, though, um, there are plenty of challenges that I had to overcome on my end as well. A lot of the things that you had mentioned, I mean, I I lived through almost the same exact thing, just through a male version of it. So it's interesting to look at the environment and the type of role it plays in kind of finding your true self and your true identity and you know in my eyes i have been always i've always been curious about the people that come in and out of our lives 
and mm-hmm. the impact that they have on us, the good and the bad and everything in between. And I think it was just about a couple of years ago when I had finally realized that at the end of the day, we are the average of the five behaviors that we surround ourselves with because those are the things that, at least in my eyes, I tend to look at and mimic or pivot or improve. So is there a moment in your eyes when that kind of made sense? Because I know that you touched a little bit uh, on your environment and how when you were younger, I guess, you had struggled with it because, you know, in, in your eyes, one set wanted you wanted to prevent you from seeing the other set. Um, and all you wanted to do, to do was really just grow up and be yourself. When did that really make sense in your mind that your environment is a huge component of who you become down the road? Yeah, I, I'm honestly, like the first thing that pops in my head is kind of when I hit my 20s, you know, I did the college thing, I was mm-hmm. working full time, doing school full time. And just really, yeah, just kind of jumping back to that question. I really think it was just realizing, hey, you know, if I keep hanging out with these people that, you know, say so your college age, people want to party and they want to, you know, go out all the time. And for me, that was hard, because I really did like to go out. And I'm just such a you know, just such a social butterfly, I guess. That's what, <laughs> you know, I really am. I love to talk to people. I love to have fun. So going out to me is so fun. You know, it's not even necessarily about the drinking and all that. It's just being out and around people. Mm-hmm. So for me to really discipline myself to be successful in school and maintain my full-time job, you know, I really had to just say, hey, who do I really want to surround myself around? Like, who do I want to be? And it was about that time I kind of got into the world of entrepreneurship as well and business. And I just sat there, I'm like, okay. And I studied these people. You know, one of my mentors, Brandon T. Adams, I don't know if you're familiar with mm-hmm. him or not, but he talks very, a lot about, you know, the, you are the five people you hang around, you know, Napoleon Hill, Think and Grow Rich, you know, all those mm-hmm. things. And he really distilled that into my mind, you know, whoever you want to be, you kind of got to surround yourself around people like that. Or if somebody has something you want, you have to follow in their footsteps and see how they did it kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So that was really an aha moment for me. I'm like, okay, so if I want to be a certain type of person or act a certain way or do certain things, I need to surround myself in my environment around people that are doing the same thing or have done that. So then I started to be really picky and choosy with who I spent my time with. You know, unfortunately, I did cut out a lot of friends, you know, not saying that they were bad people. Mm-hmm. It's just for me, they they different didn't phases of your life. Yeah, exactly. And honestly, I just I felt that, you know, heaviness in my heart that they're holding me back, even though I cared about them. And, you know, I wanted the best for them. I knew for me, the best thing was just to kind of move forward and, you know, kind of cut ties, so to say. So I think really in my 20s, yeah, I just kind of realized I need to kind of be, you know, be in my environment with who I want to be. So, mm-hmm. yeah, what, long-winded again, but <laughs> what quality? I'm always long-winded. <laughs> hey, that's, not a, that's not a problem. Um, what qualities do you look for in other people as you're building yourself up right now? And do you have any advice for the type of questions that people can start asking themselves as they're trying to develop their own closely knit circle of friends and relatives and anyone who's going to help them um, improve and move forward? Yeah. So a couple things. I mean, what I really look for and I guess what really attracts me to other people is really people that are authentic. You know, that's a huge thing for me. I really need people in my life that are transparent and who you see is what you get kind of thing. I don't like when people... (laughs) 
not lie, but, you know, I guess put so much fluff out there and show, oh, I'm this person, I'm doing this thing. And then you actually get to know them and you're like, that's not really who you are. I don't like that. So mm-hmm. For me, just really real, raw and honest on who you are, what you're doing and what you're working towards kind of thing. So that's a huge one. Um, other than that, just people who are really positive. You know, I've found that positivity is huge and just having a positive and growth mindset has really taken me far. So I definitely have to be around open-minded, positive people as well. You know, if I'm around somebody that's so negative and they just think the world's out to get them and there's always this drama going on in their life, you know, I really start to, I don't know, I kind of think I'm an empath sometimes. I start to feel that and I'm like, hey, this is too much. Like I'm taking, that takes a toll on me then being around that. So you know, sometimes you can't help it. Sometimes you have a family member or someone very close to you and they're going through something. So you just kind of have to deal with it. But I feel like if it's a long-term pattern and that's just who they are, you know, maybe stay away. Mm. (laughs) So that's a big thing for me, just being very open-minded and positive. Other than that, people that are thinking differently and Mm -hmm. they are, you know, they're not just conforming to society and how things are supposed to be in quotes, you know, or how we're supposed to live or, you know, I really, my, just everything about me and my mindset, it's just, I'm so attracted to people that are thinking differently and are acting differently. You know, they're trying to change the world. They're going above and beyond, you know, that's the kind of people I want to hang around because that's the type of person I am. You know, I don't want to live an average life. I don't want to just go to work and come home and just have this simple little life. You know, that's, I'm just not cut out for that. You know, Mm -hmm. I want, Mm-hmm. I really want to help people. I want to make a difference in this world. And, you know, I want to do some unforgettable things. So really, I need to be around people that are doing that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so kind of, I, I guess I could go on and on. But I'd say if I had to pick like three major categories, that would probably be what I look for and what I'm most attracted to. Mm-hmm. Um, you had amazing. another question. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you. You had another question. What was it if some what I would tell somebody when they're looking for this Yeah, what, what what advice would you have for people who are in the process of kind of developing their own environment? You know, I know that throughout this, one of the more important things that I'm getting throughout this conversation is the ability to say no. And yes. it's not necessarily because you have hatred or anything like that towards those people. It's just that you're at a different point within your life than some of the other people that may be. And I, I was the same exact way that you were. I think for me, it really clicked when I was in high school. And that's when I began to say no to certain groups. And then when I went to college, that's when it elevated to the next step. And so I, it's not necessarily eliminating or not having contact ever with those people. It's just you are not going to those groups for... Um, how do you put this? You're not being a sponge around those yeah. within those groups. I think it's important to be in the room where you're a sponge and you're just constantly um, indulging new information and mm-hmm. new ways to improve your process. And so, I know that that's probably one of the key key points within it. Um, I know for me also, it's important to surround yourself with right books and right people. So, Think and Grow Rich, phenomenal book. I mean, absolutely life-changing as mm-hmm. far as the principles that are taught within it. And we are fortunate enough to read it at a relatively young age where I think some people don't get a chance to read that book at all. And right. in my eyes, I think it's a fundamental book that needs to be taught at every level of education. 
I mean, mm-hmm. as early as maybe even elementary school, if you can break down the concepts there. But that that's kind of what I got from what you just said is your ability to say no and then really just focus on surrounding yourself with positive people. And throughout it, I think that's how your life becomes better. And you do become a lot more grateful for others and those that you do have within your life. Mm-hmm. I agree. I think, yeah, and especially when you're starting out, it is so hard, you know, how are we supposed to know who we're supposed to be until mm-hmm. we get down that path? You know, mm-hmm. it's it's one of those things where we have to pretty much find out the hard way <laughs> and you oh, yeah. learn or, or you learn from other people like on this podcast, you know, whoever's listening. Mm-hmm. Now, you know what we went through and, you know, what steps it took to get there and what we look for in a person now. So if you feel like you might be similar to us or you might have similar aspirations or, you know, what have you just listen to people that are like you or you think you might be like, or you want to be like, and follow in their footsteps because that was, that was a big thing too, that, you know, when I was going through my emotions and just kind of figuring out who I wanted to be and who I was going to be, I really just started to listen to a lot of podcasts and read and just kind of just learn all these different things. And that's one thing I did, you know, I, kind of found different people who I liked or, you know, say I liked the way they talked or their fashion style or whatever it was, you know, I kind of followed them in in a good way. You know, I kind of started to be like that, you know, if Mm -hmm. it was a good quality, I started to follow that. So I think that's a good, really good piece of advice is there's so much free resources and everything at our fingertips. You know, I think a lot of us underestimate the internet and mm-hmm. the time that we live in, but lit- honestly, we can self-teach our- ourselves anything. It's yep. right there. We just have to take the action to do it. You know, if there's anything you don't know how to do, just YouTube it. It's as simple as that. It really is. It's so crazy. True. And I joke all the time, but I'm like, we have everything we need. Like, honestly, I, I'm glad I went to college. I really am. It was a good experience. It definitely helped, you know, shape me into who I am and plays into my story. But really, you know, if I could go back now, I would rather not have all this debt and I'd rather teach myself <laughs> all these different things because I learned so much more when I actually got out of school and started applying, you know, my business and, you know, even my podcasting business, just learning the ins and outs of taxes and, you know, just even how to correspond with clients and all those different things. It's something you kind of have to learn as you go. You know, you can't be taught that in school. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, just those different things, just really learn as much as you can follow good inspirational people and you know, whatever you want to do, just set a goal and make it happen. You know, take the action every single day or whatever, whatever your goal is, you know, make it happen. Mm -hmm. I think it's so easy to put stuff off and say, I want to do this, or I'd like to do, to do this, but that's why tomorrow or the week after and you really never start on that process. Yeah, I know, you know, and some days we have lazy days and we don't want to do anything. (laughs) That's okay, we're human. We are allowed that. But then the next day we have a lot more to do and that's fine. Mm -hmm. So it's all about balance too. And, you know, just, yeah, not beating yourself up if you don't get something right or don't do something, you know, every single thing is a learning lesson. Mm -hmm. You know, I, even when I quote, quote, fail, I never see it as a failure. I'm like, okay, what did I learn from that? How can I be better? How can Mm -hmm. I use that next time? You know? So I'm always thinking that way. So really just shaping that mindset. I think that's a huge thing when people are transitioning from, you know, say they're 
just living an average normal life. And now they want to be an entrepreneur or they want to go do something else and they want to get out of, you know, I guess the rut they're in or whatever situation. I think that's the biggest part is changing your mindset, you know, mm-hmm. and really being open and vulnerable and, you know, trying new things. So just be open-minded, you know, that's probably my best piece of advice. You know, don't think there's this plan that you're going to be stuck to. There's never a plan. You can plan and then the plan's going to change like 10 times. So yeah. Oh yeah. Honestly, go with the flow, do what you can focus on what you can control and the rest just kind of bless and release. I guess that's kind of one thing I live by. And, you know, cause for so long, I always thought I had to have everything planned because I'm such an analytical person, you know, that really helps me. Like I re- I use a paper planner still and everyone laughs at me, but I don't care. I love to actually cross off what I've gotten done and I schedule my things in 15 minute increments. So that helps me stay on task and stay motivated. So that's one way I found that, you know, I work really well with, you know, other people, they might be more of a digital person, you know, so you just really have to find out what works for you and, yeah, just keep going from there. Hmm. I want to transition slightly from the main theme of belonging into your book. Okay. You 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 wrote a book, and what I wanted to focus on with that part is first, give us a little overview of what the book is about and why it exists to begin with, and then the other part that I'm curious is, what is not in a book. Mm-hmm. That's a good one. <laughs> yeah. So what's not in there? Okay. I gotcha. So yeah, my book is really my memoir through the foster care system up until two years ago. So I'm actually re- working on that second edition now because a lot has happened. I have met my biological dad, you know, just a lot more with my entrepreneurship and all that good stuff has happened. So I am writing part two. Um, but up until yeah, two years ago, February of 2017, that's when I published it. Um, It was really my life up to date, you know, the good, the bad, the ugly, (laughs) everything in between, you know, and there were so many different components to it. It's such an interesting book. It's not, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Like you just have to read it to even understand what I'm saying. But like, for instance, in there, I interview my biological dad on the phone for the first time ever. So that was the first time I ever heard his voice as an adult, you know, as a child, I was around him when I was a baby, but obviously I don't remember that. So really that was the first time I had really any contact with him. And I just asked him all these questions about our life and why, what happened to us did and what happened to his life to lead him down the the path of addiction and, you know, all those different things. So it was so interesting, but you know, that's one part of it. I had my sister. So my sister who I was adopted with, I had her write a chapter in there. You know, she really struggled with, yeah, it was really intense because then you got my, you know, perspective and then her perspective and they're so different. It's crazy. Even though we're the same, we were about the same age, you know, I was one year older, really we're the kind of the same kids in the same environment, but just to see how we reacted was so interesting, you know, really to diagnose and sit down and say, wow, she went through this and this one went through that. So Mm -hmm. that was really cool. Even for me, because some of the stuff that she wrote about and shared, you know, she hadn't even opened up to me about it. Exactly. And I didn't even think to ask or anything, but I'm like, wow, you were in so much pain all this time when we were growing up and I didn't even realize it, you know, it just, it was the craziest thing. So yeah, she writes in there and, you know, she struggled with a a little addiction herself and she's very open about it in there. 
um, you know, just a lot of different things. I had my adoptive parents write me a letter. You know, I was, I just asked them like, hey, would you be willing to write anything for my book? And my mom decided to write a letter, which is super sweet. So she wrote, you know, and shared about how it was, you know, being our adoptive parents and kind of her take on everything. So that was interesting. Uh, my paternal grandmother also wrote a little letter. So that kind of helped give more context into my birth family, you know, the way she raised my dad you know, the interaction she had with us, those types of things. And then I just really walked through, you know, every single adversity, <laughs> I guess, was that was placed on my path. You know, there's a lot that happened growing up that obviously we don't have time to share in a 30-minute podcast, but mm-hmm. there's a lot of different things that happened that I had to really work through. And yeah, I guess the readers just kind of go on a journey with me as I try to find out, you know, what happened to my life story mm-hmm. and just kind of go through those emotions of finding myself and kind of getting on the path where I am now as an advocate and making a difference. And yeah, so That's that amazing. was kind of about where, the book. But... Where, where do people find it? So right now it's on Amazon. Um, I'd say within the next six months, I will begin with my publisher to with the second edition. It was kind of crazy. So this is kind of a fun little fact, but I did self-publish it. So mm-hmm. it is self-published initially. And right away, I had so much support, so many amazing people that just had my back. And honestly, I think we're curious about my story and, you know, why this girl from this small town just decided to write this book, you know, where I'm from, that's not really heard of. It was Mm -hmm. just such a rarity. So, you know, I definitely had a lot of support from my hometown, my home state. And I don't know, it was kind of wild the first week or so it ended up hitting a a bestseller. So that was cool to be able to say, hey, my book's a bestseller now and people actually are supporting me. I didn't just write it and no one's reading it. Because honestly, I think I was so scared of that, that I would write this book and it wouldn't matter. And my story and my words would just be there. But Mm -hmm. thankfully, I had a lot of support and it was just phenomenal. And just, I don't know, the feedback I got was just, I can't even explain it to you. Just so overwhelming, you know, so emotional for me that people actually cared about my story or, you know, my story helped them in some way, shape or form. You know, I had foster youth that would send me packages in the mail. Just it was just crazy. And I'm like, Oh my goodness. And messaged me on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and, you know, just thanking me for, for what, you know, just sharing my story and that's all it took and it helped them. So it was so cool. And that's really when I decided this is what I want to do with my life. And this is, you know, how I want to live. So yeah, it's been absolutely crazy. Um, but amazing at the same time. So yeah. And then you, what's not in the book? What is not in the book? (laughs) So what's not in the book is, I'd say really what's happened since, uh, you know, and it couldn't be in the book because it didn't happen yet. But yeah, meeting my dad for the first time in the flesh and blood, that was pretty crazy. So I'm a 23-year-old, you know, at this time, a couple months ago, I'll be 24 actually, coming up here shortly. But, you know, I was 23, just, you know, I wrote this book now, I've been on this journey of finding, you know, myself and my family story and just putting those pieces together and now I'm finally able to meet my dad. And I'm like, wow, this it's just not how I envisioned it at all. You know, I thought for the longest time I was going to do this documentary over my life story. And through that, I was going to meet him for the first time on camera. And that was kind of the plan these, this last two years or so. And of course, like I said earlier, plans change all the time. Mm-hmm. So that didn't happen. But I think it was for the best because this way it was more intimate. You know, it was actually 
not for not not that it would have been for show but anytime a camera's around it's so hard to be 100% yourself and 100% transparent transparent and authentic you know it just it is it's just how it is but I don't know it was super super intense I guess you know just my first feeling I was so anxious you know I felt like I was gonna throw up honestly I was scared I just I didn't know you know I was gonna meet this guy that helped I don't know it helped make me who I am you know because I really hadn't talked to my dad or aside from that call on the phone for my book that was really the only interaction I had so I didn't really feel like he was my dad and I know that's probably hurtful if he would hear me say that you know and maybe he will and you know and I just I don't mean that in a mean way or a bad way it's just I didn't feel like he was a father to me I I knew I had a dad you know my adopted dad was the one that was there he raised me he cared for me he was there when I was crying and all those things you know and this stranger I guess was supposed to be my dad and I didn't know how to feel about that so you know I had to push myself out of my comfort zone you know right as I was leaving my town here in Waterloo my sister and I, she went with me and I guess we went together, I should say. And I was about to have a panic attack <laughs> and she oh, was wow. the one. Yeah. I was just so worked up and you know, some, I don't know, it just, something came over me and I was just so scared and it was crazy. You know, I'm the older sister and she was the one that was so calm and collected and was like, it's okay. It's going to be fine. And usually that's me with her, like coaching her, talking her down kind of thing. And here, my little sister was the one calming me down. So it was, it was really cute. It was a cool little moment for us, but yeah, she just told me, you know, what's the worst that could happen? We can always leave, you know, nothing bad's going to happen. And I think I was just so scared of the unknown and really just, kind of having that moment finally be there and not know how to act or what to do. So we went and met him. And honestly, I just worked myself up for no reason. <laughs> so it, it went fine. Really, once we were there, you know, we got out of the car. I We had my twin nieces. So my sister actually gave birth to my twin nieces 17 months ago now. So they're kind of toddler, toddler age, starting to walk and stuff. We're super close. They're absolutely a blessing. But yeah, we drug them with us because we're like, well, we're not going to get a sitter and maybe it's good if, you know, to have a little distraction <laughs> or, you know, we didn't know. So we brought them with. And so we get the twins out of the car and we're just standing there. And my grandma walks over and then my dad like peeks around this corner and he walks over and I just remember looking at him really quickly. And then I looked down and like grabbed one of the twins and just started to talk to them, like walking with them over to the shop. And yeah, I, I don't know. My sister right away, she kind of took control of the conversation, just said, hi, you know, started talking. I was the quiet one, which is so abnormal for me. I mean, <laughs> you guys can probably tell already by this little short podcast, you know, I'm such a gabber. I love to talk. I'm so outgoing. So for me to be so quiet and so out of my element, you know, I was definitely going through something. But, you know, I just I just sat there and I'm like, OK, what's the worst that can happen? Like, you know, let's just talk a little bit. Let's get to know him. And I just kind of made small talk with him. You know, it's fine. My grandma has a little antique shop, so she was kind of showing us all her antiques and that kind of stuff. It was fun. It was just kind of something different. But, yeah, then we went and got pizza. So just something casual. Went to Pizza Ranch, got some pizza, you know, just talked a little bit more. And it was honestly fine. You know, once we actually started talking, I felt like I knew him. It was almost like I was having a conversation with an old friend that I hadn't seen in a long time. You know, that's mm, the best way I can beautiful. describe it. You know, I didn't feel awkward anymore. I didn't feel anxious. It just felt okay. And, you know, shortly after we left and we were on the drive back home and I just sat and reflected and I'm like, why did, why was I so worked up? And I really think it was just the fear of the unknown and finally mm -hmm. having something that you wanted for so long right in front of you. 
it's just so much, you know, it's so much to take in and being an adult finally and dealing with some of these emotions, it's been a lot different than being a child, you know, because you actually have to think level-headed now and you have to think like an adult and remind yourself like, hey, this is okay, this is normal to feel this way. And, you know, really it's just bringing up so many emotions from the past and then you have to deal with those again. So, mm. yeah, so I'd say wow. that was that's probably the biggest thing and I'll obviously have a lot to write about with that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and, yeah, just – all the different opportunities I've had, you know, just the different speaking engagements I've had the chance to be a part of, you know, the nonprofit I sit on the board of directors for, the Guardian Scholars Foundation. They've really helped me, you know, just keep going with my advocate work and making a difference and feeling also like I belong somewhere. You know, I really feel like that's a second family for me. So, mm -hmm. yeah, a lot of different things, but I'd say those are the main ones. <laughs> that's amazing. Final Thank question you. for today's episode. Where do people find you if they want to follow your work and where you are in the process of writing the second book? How do people get connected with you? Yeah, so I'm really big on social media, mostly like Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And my username is at symbol Nicole Zion Cox. I'm sure you'll put it in the show notes. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I'm really big on those three platforms. Otherwise, honestly, yeah, if you send me an inbox and you want to chat or something's going on, feel free to do that. Um, otherwise, my email... Oh, we don't have to do email. That's, that's <laughs> Sometimes I give people my email, but I'm like, anymore, it's just easier just to go through social media. Mm -hmm. Or I'm sure you'd be happy to do a connection if somebody from the podcast is listening. Absolutely. Yeah, I'd be more yeah. than happy to. I'm, I'm not hard to find. I'm usually all over online somewhere. <laughs> mm. But yeah, well, I share a lot. You know, I share a lot about my journey on my social media channels and what I'm doing, how I'm feeling. You know, once in a while, I'll jump on a Facebook Live, do stuff like that. So yeah, that's probably the best way to follow me on there. That's incredible. Well, thank Nicole, you. thank you so much for sharing your story and being a guest on our show and kind of diving more into the topic that you are going to share on as well at our upcoming event in LA on February 23rd. So for those who are listening and that are in the area, please join us on February 23rd for an event called Survive to Thrive, where Nicole will be one of the speakers speaking on I Belong Here. I'm so excited. Oh, it's going to be fun. Thank you all for listening to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you haven't done so already, feel free to subscribe to our weekly newsletter so you can receive all of our latest episodes, featured stand-up and speak-up stories, and ways you can be involved with Overcoming Odds. Once again, thank you for listening, and we look forward to having you next week.